Hello, this is your self-help podcast with Bernard Kelvin Clive. With insights for personal branding, personal development, publishing, and interviews with young entrepreneurs. Now here's your host, Bernard Kelvin Clive. Hey, now if you're hungry and ready for change, this is the podcast to listen to. Now let's get started today. Okay, today on a subject to do with personal branding, we want to look at the theme, how focusing on giving value can influence one's brand. And my guest, international best-selling author and speaker, Bob Bag, is here with me. Bob, you're welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's so great to be with you. As a pleasure, I treasure. <laughs> well, the honor is mine, sir. Well, the title of your book is interesting, you know, is that it's Adversaries in Zualis. So are you saying that everyone and anyone who in any way disagrees with you is your enemy? <laughs> That's a good question. It sounds like that, doesn't it? But no, not really. Uh, in this case, an adversary could be someone who yeah, maybe is a, a very nice person. Uh, but the, uh, in the context of the situation, uh, perhaps they are, for whatever reason it is, standing in the way of your personal satisfaction. For example, uh, you might need to return something to a store and you go to the customer service desk and the customer service representative, again, might be a nice person, but they're not equipped necessarily to deal with a customer who maybe didn't bring his or her receipt with them, and they, they want to exchange something, but the store policy is no exchanges without receipts. So you've got to be able to handle this in a very classy, gracious, kind, uh, respectful, and tactful way while still getting the results you want, as I call it, attaining satisfaction. So in that this case, it's a bit of an adversarial position, though it doesn't mean the person's an enemy personally. Uh, it might be that you want to ask your boss for a raise, and this boss doesn't, it might be a nice person, but doesn't want to give you that raise. That's an adversarial position. It might be the customer who keeps giving you or bringing up the same objection or concern time after time, even though you feel you've explained it. So in this case, while the person isn't necessarily an enemy uh, or an adversary in the literal sense, the position you both are in is adversarial. You know, there was a um, a, a Japanese baseball mm-hmm. player, um, mm-hmm. one of the best of all times. His name was Sadaharu Oh. And he was the, the, the leading, the all-time leading home run hitter in Japanese professional baseball. And he used to say, and I absolutely love this quote, he said, I never saw the, the opposing pitcher as my adversary, but rather as my partner in hitting home runs. Oh. And I thought that was such a great way to look at it. And in the same way, uh, within this book, I see an adversary as simply our partner in our attaining satisfaction while also helping that person to feel genuinely good about themselves. Well, so the partner, rather than an enemy, we want to look at. Now, we hear the word influence a lot, used a lot, and the word is used throughout your book. And what really is influence, and why is it so important, especially in this age, influence? 
Well, influence on a very, very basic level is is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Uh, you know, I think that while that definition certainly works, I, I certainly don't think that's the essence of influence. Um, I think the essence of influence is pull. Pull being the opposite, of course, of push, meaning that if you really want to influence someone, you don't push them. You mm. don't push your ideas on them. You don't try to push them into doing things because you want them to do it. You gently pull. Influence is pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to their to themselves and to their ideas. Now, why is it so important? Mm -hmm. And John Maxwell, one of the great speakers and authors on, on the topic of leadership, I love what he says. He says, influence is everything. Uh, now, in the context in which he means it, in which he means it, which he says it, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and here's why. See, you can have practically all the, the important success skills working for you. Mm -hmm. You can be uh, very talented and of extremely high character. You can be ambitious, kind, charitable, hardworking, thrifty, energetic. You can have a knack for numbers. You can have a head for business. You can be even tempered and creative and much, much more. And, you know, Bernard, all that is great. It's terrific. Yeah. However... Unless you can influence others, move people to the to the desired and appropriate action, your chances of attaining really significant success are somewhat limited. Now, on the other hand, when combining benevolent intent and a learned skill set, you could find yourself really constantly, consistently, and even predictably attaining both personal and business satisfaction while uh, touching everyone you meet with exceptional value, which is really what it's all about. And, and this is really what I call ultimate influence, and that is the mm -hmm. ability to get the results you mm -hmm. want when dealing with others while helping them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. These are the people who influence. And we've all seen people... Bernard, who, you know, were talented mm. and brought a lot to the table. And, and hey, they achieved a, a certainly a very legitimate level of success. And yet, we would see that time and again, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we'd see that time and again, they're surpassed, whether within the corporate ladder or in terms of sales or building a business, they're surpassed by this person who maybe is similarly talented or maybe not even as talented, but they seem to have that way about them where they just get people on their side. Yeah. Uh, people agree with them. You know, people feel good about them and people want to, to commit to them and to their ideas. And hey, that's what people's skills are simply all about. It's bringing out the best both in yourself and in others. And I believe it's very important in terms of success. Wow. That's happening with the examples you've given in corporate sections and individuals. Make them ultimate influence and regular or normal influence, I might say that. So what gives people the edge to have that ultimate influence over the other colleagues, especially in the job-related or individuals as a brand? How do I get get that ultimate influence over people? Well, and here's the thing, and this has everything to do with personal branding. Because when you are known as someone who other people 
know, like, and trust. And you and I have spoken about this, that we, you know, we both have a similar idea when it comes to a personal brand that all things being equal, people will do business with, they'll refer business to, and hey, they'll allow themselves to be influenced by those people they know, like, and trust. Right. And when you basically have a brand as that person who people want to know, who everybody seems to like, and who people trust, that's a very, very powerful brand. That's the person who has ultimate influence. Well, now let's let's boil this down now. Let's look at the five principles of ultimate influence and in in, in the branding ourselves. And uh, we can pick from uh, principle number one. He said, "Is control your own emotions." Sounds obvious. Emotion? How? How do you mean by control your own emotions as a first principle for ultimate influence? Sure. Well, that's really where it all starts. In fact, I begin the book with a quote from the sages where where they asked, who is a mighty person? And they answer, that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. Uh, because it's only when you're in control of yourself that you're even in a position to be able to take a, a potentially negative situation or person and turn that around so that everyone comes out a winner. As human beings, we are emotional creatures. We'd like to think we're logical, and, and certainly to a to an extent we are, but not a very large extent. I mean, we are pretty much emotion-driven. As human beings, we make major decisions based on our emotion, and then we back those emotional decisions up with logic. We rationalize, which, as I say in the book, is to tell ourselves rational lies. And we do that in order to justify our emotional decisions. But I'm also talking about emotion in terms of how we feel about ourselves. It's, you know, when someone says or does something, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that pushes our buttons... Do we become angry or depressed or sad or mad or frustrated? And if we do and we allow these emotions to control us, there's no way we can possibly be as effective as we otherwise could be. So the first thing we need to do is, is understand why it's important to be able to be in control of our emotions. Now, with that said, that's not to say that I'm denigrating emotions or saying we shouldn't be emotional. Uh, emotions are a great part of life. They make life fun and <laughs> worthwhile. As, as one of my great mentors, Dondi Scumachi, says, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. I like that. I like that. So the first principle is able to take charge of our own emotions. Then we are in authority to move on to the next principle, uh, understanding the clash of belief systems. What do you really mean by belief systems? Does it sound a little bit of Nietzsche, I mean religious them? <laughs> well, I guess that could be part of it. But no, we're talking uh, in a bit broader context. Uh, a, a belief itself, a belief is simply um, a subjective truth. It's the truth as you believe or as I believe the truth is. But that doesn't mean it's the truth. It means it's our truth. Now, sometimes mm -hmm. a person's subjective truth is also the truth, but not always, and not as often as we think it is. And what happens is, Bernard, we are all run by a um, what I call an operating system or belief system, and this belief system is devised, it's comprised of a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, 
uh, television shows, movies, popular culture, everything we see and touch and taste and hear and smell and every, you know, every experience. But our belief systems tend to be formed very, very young. By the time we're a little more than toddlers, our belief system is pretty much intact and everything that adds to it adds on to the basic premise of what that belief system already is. And so, and it's unconscious. We don't even know we have this. And so, we, we tend to live lives uh, basing our thoughts and actions on, on certain beliefs that we're not even aware have been pre-programmed into us and that we just unconsciously accepted. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. The other person is also run by their own set of beliefs, their operating system or their belief system. So you think of this person with whom you're about to have a potentially difficult interpersonal situation or conversation or transaction, and both of you are actually coming at it from your own uh, individual belief systems. Now, to add on top of that, as human beings, we tend to believe that our belief system or the way we see the world is the same way everyone else basically sees mm -hmm. the world. I mean, how could it be any different? It's all we know. And that's why you hear people say things like, oh, everybody feels that way, <laughs> or nobody likes that, right? Which isn't necessarily really true. Or maybe you've heard someone say, or maybe you have said, I know I certainly have, well, I would ne never do that to someone. Well, no, because that's not within, it's not congruent with our belief system, but it is for the other person. So what we need to do is not necessarily try and understand that. I mean, whenever we can understand a person, that's great. But it's not necessarily important that we understand their belief system. What is important is to simply understand that they are most likely coming from a very, very different belief system than we are. And as long as we understand that, now we create the environment where we can work within that, respect the fact that they have a different belief system as ours, and create that win-win outcome. Well, I think this sounds like a lot of work to be done for, in both parties for you as a person to be able to understand your belief system because build on childhood behaviors, environment, and all that, and also the other person that we are all operating from a different operating system that we need to come to a compromise where we can connect these devices or human beings together so that we don't have clashes in dealing with them. And like you said... Yeah, the neat thing about it is that the way I do it in the book, I explain it so you don't have to think that hard about it. Mm. <laughs> I pretty much out there and explain what it is. And then what I do is for the entire rest of the book is I just tell short stories in which I present situations, most of them real-life situations have either happened to me or someone I know or what have you, and I just show how the, the incorrect way to handle it might be, and I also show how the correct way to handle it would be. So I make it so that we, we bring it down to the most elementary fashion. So all you need to do is read the book, and then you can always go back to different you know situations or different stories if you want, but it's a very, very fun read and very simple to apply. Oh, great. Now, that's a, we can, let's look at, quickly look at the principle three. Now, acknowledge their ego, acknowledge your ego. I remember Dr. Wayne Dyer said ego, like acronym, that's edging God out. And how do we tame or calm our ego or acknowledge our egos in this process? Well, I think that might be the negative way of looking at ego, but I don't see ego as necessarily bad or good. I, I see ego as simply 
being what is. I mean, literally, the ego is what? The I. That's what it means. It's mm-hmm. that part of ourselves that understands we are a unique individual, uh, separate from all other things and other people. Now, this, you know, sounds kind of politically incorrect because we're supposed to say, oh, we're all part of the whole. Well, you know what? In certain ways, we are. <laughs> you know, we have that universal consciousness, and we know that with quantum physics and the atoms that go so fast, and they they align with other atoms at the same speed. And yeah, I absolutely, I think all of that's probably very true, and I think it's very encouraging to, to to know that. However, that does not conflict with the fact that in our earthly existence, we also live as individuals, and that's fine. We all have our own sense of of uh, ideas about happiness and values and so forth and so on. And as long as we respect the rights of others, we certainly have the right to pursue our happiness as uh, however we see fit. Now, I think the and, and that all has to do with ego. Now, when we control our ego and we're able to direct our ego, hey, we can accomplish great things, both for ourselves as well as the marketplace, as well as for others. It's wonderful. It's when the ego controls us, just like emotions. You know, it's great when we control our emotions, but not when our emotions control us. Well, the ego and the emotions are very, very connected. So as long as we control our our ego, we're fine. Now, why I say acknowledge the other person's ego is simply because that person probably is not as aware of their ego as we are of our ego mm. because they probably don't study this stuff. So we we need to simply acknowledge that if they're acting in a way that is counterproductive or not necessarily polite or maybe not even making decisions that's in their best interest, there's a good chance that their ego has come into play, and we simply need to be aware of that and acknowledge that so we can act. I think uh, this is interesting. Now, l- let's go through the principles. Uh, we talk about one, two, three. Let's take principle four and five. Four, made mention of set proper frame. Frame, what is frame? Uh, get like a picture or? So? <laughs> well, a frame in this case is the foundation from which everything else uh, takes place. Um, let me give you a, an example that I that I cite in the book, okay. uh, and I think this sort of paints the the picture of a frame. No pun intended, if you, if you will. Uh, I was in a Dunkin' Donuts store, and there was a, a little boy in the restaurant, probably about two two and a half years old, and he was walking around the restaurant, and he began to walk toward his parents. And as he did, he fell on the floor. Now, he didn't fall very hard, and, and he didn't hurt himself, but you could certainly tell from the, the look of surprise on his face that he was shocked and that he intuitively understood that that wasn't supposed to happen. So immediately he looked at his mom and dad, the two people he trusted most in the world. He looked at them for their interpretation of the event. In other words, what happened, happened. He fell. But what was going to be the interpretation? Well, I believe that had the parents acted upset and concerned and rushed over, and you know, I think he would have probably started to cry. (laughs) But what they did, mom and dad handled it beautifully. They smiled and they applauded and they went, oh, that looks like such fun. That's so good. You know, and immediately he began to laugh because what the parents did is they set for him a productive frame wow. from which you could operate. 
And it's the same whenever we meet someone, come across someone, or introduce someone, work with someone, sell with someone, that we want to create a frame of friendliness. We want to create a frame of um, of uh, cooperation, a frame of being allies. And that's so very important. And the, the key is that when the other person, let's say the other person, um, uh, comes into the situation and they're in a bad mood or maybe they have a win-lose mindset or whatever it happens to be, we need to be able to first control our own emotions, not buy into their negative frame and reset the frame for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it does happen a lot of time in life that we live up to the expectation of what others have for us. So they frame us whether positively or negatively. But we have the ability to really change or reframe it ourselves. Well, you know, interesting, and, and I love what you say. In in any interpersonal situation, a frame will always be set. It will always be set. The only question is, who is going to set the frame? Hmm. Uh, if, if you allow the other person to set the frame, you're taking a chance. You're, you're basing the success on the, of this interaction on luck. Uh, that, that this person even understands what a frame is, they probably don't, or that they are consciously gonna be aware enough to set a productive frame. And again, you don't know that, so it, it, they might, but again, it's depending on luck. If you set the frame, now you know you know, the chances are it's going to turn out great because you've already set the proper frame for everyone to win. Great. Now, Bob, let's look at principle number five. Communicate with tact and empathy. Communication. Well, this this really brings it all home. It brings it together. Why? Um, because you can do the first four perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, you can control your own emotions, you can understand the clash of belief systems, you can acknowledge their ego and set the proper frame. But now you've got to speak to this person and communicate with this person in a way that this person's going to be very positively responsive to it. One of my favorite books was written by Les Giblin about 50 or 60 years ago called How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People. And what he wrote, and I love this, he mm-hmm. wrote... What counts is attaining personal satisfaction without trampling upon the egos of those you deal with. And and I thought that was so profound. He also said, human relations is the, the science of getting what you want while leaving your ego and the other person's ego intact. So we see how, how, you know, how this really, how ego, how tact really, um, that, can, that connects with ego, that connects with emotion. They're all tied in. And my dad has always defined tact as the language of strength. Mm-hmm. Tact is the language mm-hmm. of strength. Tact is a way of being able to correct someone, to critique someone, to, if I may, constructively criticize someone. Not that we ever want to do that, but, you know, we're talking about the real world, not a not a fantasy world. And sometimes people do things in such a way that we need to be able to work with them, we need to be able to teach them, but we need to do it, Bernard, in a way that not only do they not become defensive, not only are they not resistant to us and to our ideas, but they are accepting of our ideas. They are comfortable with us and our our ideas. And 
That's really where tact comes in. And empathy, which is simply the identification with or really the vicarious understanding of another person's feelings, uh, you know, that empathy allows us to really, to the best we can, put ourselves in that person's shoes and speak to them in a way that is very kind and respectful and understanding. Um, now, you mentioned your dad in some stories you have in, in, in your book, especially how much character he taught you and influenced your life. So can you, can you share that story with us on uh, the, how character, I mean, influenced one's life? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I talk about is, and, and throughout the book, you know, I, I provide a lot of words and phrases and, and so forth that you can use to really, you know, really get the results you want and have everyone feeling good about themselves. But, you know, more important than the words, of course, that we speak are the actions we take. Mm. And and so I like to say, but there's something even more to that. And, and I, I like to say that what you have to give you offer least of all through what you say. In greater part, in greater part through what you do, but in greatest part through who you are. And that, I believe, is where character comes into play. Character comes from an old Greek word for scrape or scratch. Uh, it came to mean engraved marking and eventually a defining quality. Uh, if one were to wax poetic, one could say that character is what happens when life scratches or etches itself onto your soul. <laughs> um, but I'm not really very poetic, so I would just say you're, uh, you know, a defining quality. And, and maybe more accurately, perhaps more accurately, it's the sum total of all one's qualities that equal their defining quality or their Character, And I believe when you really understand someone's character, you can really predict uh, their actions. Uh, and I don't mean the everyday, minu- the, you know, minutia-type actions or decisions. I mean the value-based one, the, the, the ones based on principle. Because with people of character, they tend to really stand for something. And with people of character, you tend to know exactly where they stand. Now, this does not mean they don't make mistakes. They're human. Of course they do. It doesn't mean they don't course correct. Absolutely they do. And it doesn't mean they won't be flexible on methods when that's appropriate. However, they will, they will be unbending when it comes to principles and doing what they believe is right. And an example of this I share in the book is my dad, who, um, you know, uh, well, I'll just tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. He, my, my mom and dad, I was probably about 10 years old at the time. This is a long time ago. <laughs> and the uh, we were having some new carpet put in the house. And uh, my mom and dad bought pizza for the crew, the crew chief and his crew. And my dad went up to, to bring pizza to the crew and... Uh, find out from the crew chief how the job was coming along. And the crew chief was one of these guys, you know, a nice guy, but one of these what we would call rough-around-the-edges kind of guys, you know, a very gruff kind of guy. And he was probably used to, you know, when men get together, they talk disrespectfully about their wives and, you know, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And, you know, my dad grew up very poor in the inner city, and he's one of these people who can... I, uh, who can relate? People feel they can relate to him. It doesn't matter who they are, and so everybody always wants to to kind of bond with my dad. And I think this guy wanted to uh, 
you know, just start a conversation. So he said, well, Mr. Berg, I'll tell you, these women, this is an expensive job. These women will really spend our money for us, won't they? And he wanted my dad to, you know, to laugh and say, yeah. But no, I knew my dad would never do that because my dad would never speak disrespectfully about my mom. But my dad would also not do it. He would respond in a way that also would not insult anyone. And so he, he responded by saying, well, I'll tell you what, when they were there with you before you had any money, uh, you're, you know, it's, it's your pleasure to do everything you can. You know, for them, and, and that was not the answer that the person had, that the crew chief had expected. <laughs> so he tried again, and he said, "Well, yeah, but they'll really play on that as best they can, won't they?" And you know, again, my dad said, "Well, I'll tell you what. When they're the reason you've gone as far as you have, it's your pleasure to to do. You know, to you know. In other words, he was totally edifying and respectful of my mom. Well, the guy tried one more time, and again, the same kind of answer, which I knew." You know that's that's what character is. Mm. Character, you know, means that you 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 act congruently with your values. Wow, I like that. You act congruently with your values. That is character. Yes. Wow. Well, I always ask, what will be your billion-dollar advice to the world? Well, I, I think the big thing is to remember that if you really want to be a great influencer, it's never about you. It's always about the other person. Uh, you've got to be able to, to look at, you know, you've got to ask yourself, how does what I'm asking this person to do align with their needs, their wants, their desires, their goals? Because great influence is never about the influencer. Just like great leadership is never about the leader and great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. It's always about the person whose life you're trying to touch and add value to. Well, one of my greatest quotes to do with personal branding and business selling is this by you. And I won't let you go without you expanding a little on this. It says, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, I really think it, it comes down to that. I mean, obviously, we need to know a, a person in order to do business with them. We either need to know them or know of them, of course. Uh, do we have to like them? No, we don't have to. And that's where the disclaimer, all things being equal, comes in. Mm. Because if you're the only person in town who has a certain product that someone wants and they cannot get it anywhere else, no, they don't have to like you. They'll still <laughs> buy but the problem with that is this. First, you're not the only person who has that product. <laughs> not today. So they have other people to buy from. Uh, you know, and even if you were the only person, they would only do business with you until someone came along selling pretty much what you have, but who, who they liked. And the most important reason is you're a nice person and you want to like the person you're serving and you want them to like you. So likability is certainly very important. And then trust uh, you know, as, as uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, son of Dr. Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or Stephen M. R. Covey wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. Mm -hmm. And as he says, trust is the very root and source of our influence. And in today's world, in which, you know, today's society, which is fairly low trust, it's that person who develops that reputation as being trustworthy that person is nine steps ahead of the game in a ten-step game. 
Oh, I like this. Lastly, Bob Bag, how can our listeners learn more about you, your products and services, and how can we connect with you? Well, they are welcome to come to Berg, and that's B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can click on the graphic of the book, um, Adversaries into Allies. They can get a, a chapter one to see if they like it. They can also connect with me on social media. They can subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights. Check out our Go-Givers International member community. There's lots and lots of things on the on the homepage to explore and have fun with. So that's Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. Yes. But thank you so much for the insights shared on this, turning your adversaries into allies. And this has been great with you on the show. Well, thank you so very much for having me as your guest. I really appreciate it and honored to have been your guest today. It's a pleasure I treasure. Hey, I hope you got tons of value from this interview with Bob Bag, out of the book Adversaries into Allies. You can get a copy from his website, bagburg.com, or visit amazon.com and search for the title, Adversaries into Allies. And at this time, I want to recommend my two latest books on Amazon. That is, The No-Nonsense Guide to Personal Branding for Career Success. You could just Google the name, Bennett Kelvin Clive, or the title, and also get a copy of the book if you want to become an author, or you're writing a book, or need some guidelines in publishing. Get a book, Why? Every entrepreneur must write a book. That is why every entrepreneur must write a book. Get a copy on Amazon today. The best is yours.